Cricket World Cup League 2, Ireland cost-cutting, and some new entrants in the ACL. All that and more on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you for joining us again for the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Dan Beswick and with me are the two EC pod regulars. First, the man known by many as Copernicus Cricket, Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? I'm very well, Bez. I'm counting down the days to the next oh, Star Wars. Where do we even In preparation, uh, re-watching some of, the, uh, some of the classics. Does that mean you're not watching the, uh, the prequels then, if you're only watching the classics? <laughs> well, the, I've actually, I've discovered this, it's called Machete Order, which is basically you watch the first two originals and then uh prequels episode two and three and then return of the jedi and it works quite well thematically because as it turns out nothing in episode one is actually relevant that um isn't mentioned in episode two okay well that that makes sense i'm also being pulled along to star wars but um anyway that's enough of our movie reviews for this week (laughs) yeah before before we get an an irritated uh member of the public tuning in he's a patron He's, he's, he's not just a member of the public he's a patron as well Yes, shout out to Ben, of course, who is one of our patrons. Uh, in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Uh, Tim, how are you? I'm great. Rushing around like seems every other person in Brisbane getting Christmas presents and realising that you've taken too long to get them for your uh, for the love of your life and um, what she wants is sold out. So uh, by the time you listen to this, uh, sorry, Mel. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, good. It's been a busy couple of weeks in I mean, for cricket to watch or trying to watch with the uh, streams or not streams of Challenge League B and League 2. But um, otherwise, I'm good. Daniel, how are your preparations coming for the festive season? I, I can hear you're a little bit sick. Is that because you're a little bit hungover from that wedding on the weekend? No, I'm, I'm not hungover. It's, uh, yeah, I just pulled up with a little bit of a cold uh, to begin the week. Uh, not a great time to get sick, not only with the festive season around the corner, but also the busiest time at work. Of course, the people working in, in cricket media know uh, during the summer, it's uh, all hands on deck. And yeah, Christmas shopping as well. And I feel your pain there on that front, Tim. But yeah, wedding over the weekend, uh, one of my sort of oldest friends uh, began kindergarten with her actually and uh, had a bit of a school reunion with it with a few people at the wedding so it was good to catch up and yeah great wedding as well and yeah unfortunately this week have, have come up a little bit poorly but everything will be all good uh, Tim just before we, we started recording tonight we were both frantically tinkering with our BBL super coach teams uh, there are a few emerging players of course in, in the BBL as well but we'll get to that a little bit later uh, let's jump into the first topic of today which surrounds Cricket World Cup League 2 and the UAE leg, which has recently concluded. And it was a great series for the United States, winning three out of four matches for them. And for UAE and Scotland, well, they had a no result as well, uh, just winning one match apiece. Uh, and it puts the US in a great position as they do move forward into 2020 and beyond in this World Cup qualifying tournament, I suppose you could call it. Uh, Scotland a little bit poor, and we'll get to them in a second, but for the USA, after their Super 50 issues where they only won two matches, they've come out here, and, and it's been a good start for them, Nick. Yeah, and um, I, I, I think uh, worth mentioning, Surab Netravalka, the bowling captain, had an excellent tournament, taking 10 wickets, which was the most for the Tri-Series and, and the best economy rate. So we, we discussed the slightly strange situation in the Caribbean where there was 
allegedly a uh, a tryout between him and a, a couple of other guys for the captaincy gig, and uh, it seemed like he he ticked all the boxes. Um, yeah, he he's done a good job, and I've said this before, but I think he is a very good captain in terms of knowing when to bowl himself and um, how much to bowl himself. Uh, yes, good good support in patches from some of his other bowls, but he he really dominated there. I think the the thing that I was most impressed with was the discipline that the Americans showed. Um, we saw Aaron. Jones really stepping up in terms of uh, building an innings and, and there are a few times when they lost a couple of early wickets because yeah Xavier Marshall at the top struggling again so seeing him I guess playing the anchor role you could say it, it's good to have that guy in the middle order especially when uh, they are quite fragile uh, and, and you, you can have guys bat around him uh, which we sort of discussed it last week is a slightly old-fashioned approach to one-day cricket, but it's working for the Americans at the moment. Yeah, and it's good to see that um, after cycling through one Cameron, they've got to Cameron two, who has uh, been quite well, quite effective for them. Really, I, um, I don't think we we knew what to expect for for Cameron number two to to come in and take nine wickets um, over his f- four matches, and also. Well, uh, Shalee Saron's brother, um, Rusty, he um, he was good as well. So, yeah, look, I'm really impressed with how this USA team is. They're not necessarily standing out as individuals and losing games or, or just winning. They're just a lot of players are contributing and they're just finding ways to win games. And, and you just see it when a team is going well, they always just seem to find a way. So the more consistent cricket they can play, I think the better they're going to get because they've got a decent base of players. We can only hope that they are able to tap into a, a growing well, community that is, is going to be more, or well, I guess, or less disparate and more pulled together, hopefully with this advent of the minor league and whatnot. And I know we're talking about 50-over cricket rather than T20 cricket, but to, if they can pull this together with the issues that have been around USA cricket the last couple of years, then the what's on the horizon for USA cricket is very exciting. And behind a skipper like Netravarko, as you said, and he, he seems to have done his best work when uh, under pressure for his spot, both as skipper and potentially in the team as well. And he's come through taking a five for during that series and leading the team well, as you said, Nick. Yeah, and the thing that also, uh, I mean, we were talking a couple of episodes ago about how it's been a, a pretty up and down year for the Americans. You know, they've, they've had the success in Namibia and then crashing out in the regional qualifiers and then this again. So that they've continued this up and down, um, up and down year with a, a, a very good end to it. Um, but their current interim coach, Jimmy Pammont, is set to depart, I think, um, early next year. So it, it'll be interesting to see who they get in and, and to see how they manage or if they manage to, to continue this momentum that they've they've built around uh, him, who, who yeah, I, I think he's done a good job with the side. So hopefully they can keep going. Oman were the inconsistent team at the start of the year and now the USA have seemed to take that reign as, as the most inconsistent emerging team around the circuit. But yeah, if you look at their series this time around, as you said, Netravalka leading from the front, 10 wickets and, and led everyone in the tri-series. And of course, they're missing Hayden Walsh, who has gone on to, to play for the West Indies and Ali Khan, who uh, is currently not playing either for, for the USA. So look, it, it's a great series for them in that they've been able to win matches without two of their previously integral bowlers, Ali Khan, will probably come back at some point. But yeah, looking at, at say, Cam Stevenson, who's looked to have adjusted and fit himself in quite well in the USA setup, uh, it only bodes well for, for the future. And yeah, like I said before, they've 
uh, give themselves a great platform to build on for the rest of this particular tournament. A team just behind them in second place, and this is primarily because they've also played eight matches in the tournament, of course, with the series being a little bit inconsistent in terms of uh, teams playing and and therefore the, the table looking a bit lopsided. But for Scotland, they, they fluffed their lines a little bit here, it must be said, Tim. Uh, a few performers who were quite uh, unsatisfactory, I think, is probably the, the right way to put it. Are there any concerns coming in or, or going into 2020 with a few of these performances in the 50-over game? Because we thought, okay, in their series in Scotland, they were quite good at home, and at home you'd expect them to be good. But they did it on slow pitches uh, in Scotland, and they came here to UAE, and the pitches were slow as well. But it, they just did not come to the party at all, Tim. You have to say it was quite disappointing. Well, yes, we've got to remember that their series at home in Aberdeen, moreover, was against PNG, who've lost eight ODIs in a row and have, have said out loud that uh, it's not their preferred format. Um, and they went one-on-one with Oman and then how they were quite scrappy in the T20 World Cup qualifier, different format, but very similar team. No, I think you're right. There have been some some inconsistencies across. I think for me as a, a left-arm spinner watching what and to hear, Mark, what was his aggressive best and really didn't give too much away. He's, uh, he's an interesting to one interesting one to watch. A bit hard with no with no sound. It would be very interesting to hear him, uh, his chat out there from any stunt <laughs> cam to hear. is Because uh, he could be the angriest left-arm spinner um, that I've seen for a long, long time. Since yourself? Yeah, since myself, basically. Luckily, there was no no cameras around there. But um, uh, Hamza Tahir, after his debut and taking a bag and then another four and a three for, I think it was, in um, in Aberdeen, then, I don't know, he seemed to be bowling a lot slower um, on these Emirates wickets. And I, well, it was obviously deliberate because he was doing it consistently, but he just didn't seem to have the same to be incisive at all and didn't I didn't see him t- turn a ball past the bat really just seemed to bowl a little bit slower sort of into the stumps of the right hander and they just seem to pick him off so I'm not sure what's going on there whether he's changed something his, his action he's got a, a very recognisable action with almost no top hand whatsoever uh, or front arm I should say and sort of a very short run up and he's on you re- really quickly and I thought he was going to be a real pressure building bowler for Scotland but they just seem to, to work him around uh, with ease and then Ali Evans just seemed to be really down on confidence, he only played the two games, but it seemed to be down on pace. Um, wasn't consistent enough, especially that pace. So I'm not, I'm not sure whether he's carrying an injury or, or not. Well, I hope for his sake that he is, and there's something we can work on because at, at this sort of form, it might be the last we we see of Ali Evans in a in a Scotland shirt. Yeah, it's interesting that Tahir's seems to be slowing down because you know often when when spinners get a bit flustered, they'll speed up and try and dart it in. So it yeah, it was a bit strange to see. It was almost. Sort of like little floater balls, weren't they? I don't know. It was yeah. Hopefully he um he recovers because he he bowled really really well in that first series. Um, yeah. You talked about Ali Evans and he did get smashed around quite a lot. But the I mean Safian Sharif was good in patches, but he also wasn't um wasn't at his best either. So their bowling was looking a bit thin. Which in in the past they have been perhaps a better batting side, but. You know, they, they have had guys that can build a bit of pressure up, up the other end. And Safian Sharif in the past has been a, a real uh, real wicket-taking strike bowler. And he just wasn't showing that this series, which is, is another worry. And just looking at the, the points table that you mentioned, Bez, they, they, 
looking at their competition, you know, the US are off to a really good start and Namibia have a strong side and Oman as well um, are a, a very solid team. So just looking ahead, Scotland might have their work cut out for them, you know, because only the top three teams in, in this League 2 actually progress directly to the World Cup qualifier in 2022. So Scotland could have their work cut out for them just to just to qualify for that. Yeah, and they've already hosted uh, a series as well so they, they got the points there but yeah they're going to have to go away from home uh, in series like this and, and perform well to make sure that they're in that top three as you said another team who are knocking on the door there UAE of course with Nepal not yet playing and, and PNG 0 for 8 thus far UAE sit in fifth at this point just the one win there was the no result as well they were at home but they were obviously tested with a large crop of young players coming through we've talked about their struggles uh, at length over the course of the last few weeks on the podcast with the scandals that have rocked UAE cricket but we've seen the likes of three teenagers come through in Figgy Aravind and uh, Mayapan as well and it's just given them a chance perhaps to, to blood the youth a little bit there uh, a few encouraging performances Nick you have to say but you know this is a developmental stage for the next crop of, of young players it seems yeah that victory over Scotland I think was um, indicative of where you know both of these teams are at. Uh, we saw Scotland get off to a really good start. You know they were 138 for none before a, a real collapse set in, and they all they bowled out for 220, which the UAE batsman reeled in. Uh, pretty comfortably three wickets down and these these uh teenage players that they have were enthusiastic of course and and showed quite a lot of skill uh, and you know someone like a Jonathan Figgy who he was overseas in England for a while on a cricket scholarship in a um a fairly posh English school and you know he comes from a uh, fairly fairly humble stock in the UAE his dad uh reading a profile by Paul Radley, an uh, excellent journalist, of course. His dad's a, uh, a minister in, in a, a church there. And originally, when the English school came sort of scouting, they, he, he couldn't afford to go until they uh, they offered him a scholarship. So that was that's a good story. And looking more broadly at, at the situation of UAE cricket, having these teenagers coming through, it shows that there's some strength and some depth in the under-19 system, which, and, you know, this is a, an issue that has been... Um, sort of crops up across a lot of associate countries, but in the past they have been perhaps a little bit shy to blood in the the local guys. And um, we'll, you know, I don't want to revive the expat players debate, but the fact is a lot of the UAE squad are guys who move there for for potentially for other reasons, for work or what have you. Um, so the fact that they have guys coming through the under-19 system is really encouraging, and, and I hope that they um, they keep up with selecting these guys, and and you know they 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 find some more through that pipeline because once the the demographics start shifting of the team, I think that'll be. Uh, really good for the team and you know, looking a bit further afield to Oman who have a similar sort of demographic situation they're very keen on on building a local cricket scene and, and getting local players into the team as well you know guys who've played through the under 19 system and, and whatnot so hopefully this uh, this new team that they're building it's a bit of a I guess it could be a silver lining of the fixing scandal we saw is that they they bring in all these guys and they uh, start rebuilding from from the local scene yeah, and let's not forget that they're off to the Under-19 World Cup in South Africa in a month or so as well. So hopefully we're going to see a number of, the, of these players within that squad. And it's showing that there are players coming through um, that haven't moved there that are actual 
products of the system and you know it's a majority migrant country so i'm not going to debate you know how important it is where they're born or not but to see that they've got kids coming through the system and to have defeated nepal in the in the under 19 qualifier also shows at the level they're at because we know that how well nepal has done in under 19 world cups in the past so yeah i just agree with everything you've said there about how this can be turned around we talk about having the right coaches at the right time and it just seems that dougie brown has has blossomed uh, in that the challenge to, to be getting the best out of these young guys and can only wish them the best and it's good to hear on the streams actually there was um barney reed who's done some work for emerging cricket and of course paul radley as you mentioned a good friend of the podcast but um just to hear their passion especially radder's passion for cricket in the emirates and it only wish there were more like him there just doesn't seem to be that i don't know you don't see big crowds turning up or much crowd at all for these games It'd just be nice to get some interest around the the local community in the in the uae team you now we see crowds turn up to watch international teams there but to actually convert those local cricket fans into fans fans of UAE cricket. Yeah, similar problem or uh, challenge I guess for the US team as well and that you know so many of the people in America who who like cricket don't necessarily follow American cricket and that's always going to be a, a challenge and it's almost a, a bit of a wasted opportunity to to not be tapping into that because having you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people playing cricket in in both of these countries it's a great resource but if, if they can't convert that resource into people who actually follow the local cricket scene, it's, it's a bit of a wasted opportunity. And so that's why I'm, I'm so, um, so enthusiastic about these UAE teenagers, you know, these guys who've grown up there who are actually part of the, the local scene. And hopefully that can spark some more interest in the uh, local cricket. It wouldn't be a chat about UAE without mentioning uh, Darius De Silva as another young player coming through for the UAE. Of course, growing up in, in Perth as well. Great story on, on emerging cricket done by Abba Asorka, who managed to get some words for, from Darius. His father was a huge uh, Alessandro Del Piero fan, and Del Piero is actually in his... Uh, list of middle names, which is a great little story in itself. But a, a great point you make there, guys. The Under-19 World Cup, which of course is coming up early next year, is a great opportunity for emerging cricket nations to to get one over the full members. Of course, with the the 16 teams, there's a, a, a good a good chance there for associate members to roll over their full member counterparts. And of course, we'll be looking at that with interest on emerging cricket. And there will be a big flavour from the senior UAE team playing in that under 19 team as well just to give a quick rundown of all the tables both the cricket world cup league two tables and the challenge league tables as we head into 2020 it's also worth noting that with the setup of the tri-series for the league nepal are yet to still play a match with the usa scotland and png all playing eight games thus far the usa are top of the league with six wins in eight games to be on 12 points scotland four wins in eight games and a no result to be second on nine points Namibia and Oman with three wins in four games to be on six points. UAE with one win and a no result in four games to be on three points. Nepal are yet to play and are therefore on zero points, but they're not last as PNG have gone 0 for 8. We also wrapped Challenge League Group B last week, so we should run through both Group A and B's tables as we head into 2020. Both groups have played a leg each, so that's five matches apiece. In Group A, Canada and Singapore lead on eight points. That's, of course, four wins. Qatar is third on six points. Denmark fourth on four points. Malaysia and Vanuatu both on two points. In Group B, Uganda are undefeated, as we discussed last week, on ten points. Hong Kong on seven points with three wins and a no result. Italy, five points with two wins and a no result. Jersey, four points. Kenya, three. 
and Bermuda on one. Plenty of action in Cricket World Cup League 2 and both the Challenge Leagues next year and beyond, so look out for that here at Emerging Cricket. Let's go around the world now and we'll look at the Philippines women who are hosting uh, Indonesia for four T20 internationals just before Christmas on the 21st and 22nd of December. Uh, two matches a day at the Friendship Oval in Das Marinas, uh, a location that you know very well, Nick. And, and I'll start with you uh, in regards to this. Uh, a great chance for some more international cricket coming up at, at the end of the year and, and a good opportunity for both these teams to get some uh, matches under their belt. Yeah, I was there last year for the sub-regionals. It's a, it's a nice ground. It's on the um, the field behind a university campus and Philippines cricket have spent a lot of time uh, building a relationship with that university and and the city itself more broadly, uh, it's a bad well. I mean, <laughs> with Filipino traffic, it, it can be any amount of time outside Manila, but in good traffic, it's about an hour's drive. And so they they've deliberately based themselves outside of Manila to to try and get a bit more attention for the game, which is a strategy being used by a few different associates around the world, and seems to be making some headway. In in terms of the actual team, um, talking last year to to some people involved in the cricket there, they. They didn't have a women's team and it was a high priority for them to get going and and so it's it's good to see that they've actually managed to put it together and things are continuing to to develop there and uh funnily enough tim you there's a there's a big hong kong connection to a, a lot of these players yeah very much so um the scc actually originally named as the subcont cricket club um, Divas are a women's development team in Hong Kong and it was started by a gentleman by the name of Animesh Kulkarni who's now been given an award by the, the Philippines Cricket Association but he has started or a couple of years, years ago started a team for foreign domestic helpers as they're referred to in Hong Kong the majority of those being from the, the Philippines actually there's a lot from from Indonesia as well and most of them are women and they only get one day off a week and that's a that's a Sunday, and he got them together. And some of them had played softball in the past, but generally not a lot of sport amongst them. And and they started playing. They won the development league in the the eight aside league there, and the the structures of women's cricket in Hong Kong. And that was a couple of years ago, and they've got better and better. And they've opened up uh, communications with the Philippines. Philippine Cricket Association and with a view to potentially getting them involved in cricket in the country there as well and actually eight of them have been selected in this inaugural women's T20I series for the Philippines so that is exciting. Yeah, it's a great story and one of those, um, this is what we love about the sport uh, sort of situations and, and how that, as you said, this is their one day off per week, but it, it just brings them uh, so much community and, and it's wonderful to see cricket being used for such, you know, such good in, in this situation where, you know, their, their lives are sometimes quite tough. They, they work very, very hard and um, they don't have a, a great status in Hong Kong um, with with a lot of uh, social issues there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's great to see cricket being used as a vehicle for good. And Nick, you were able to catch up with Philippines' Evan McCall uh, to get some chat from him in regards to the Philippines. Let's have a listen to that now. So I'm with Evan McCall, Development Manager with the Philippines Cricket Association, as the Philippines women are getting ready to play their very first international match. Um, First, Evan, you had a few people you wanted to thank for helping you reach this milestone. We'd just like to thank everyone who's shown their support for women's cricket in the Philippines, from local players to fans from across the globe, to Assurant BPO for their sponsorship and commitment to helping us grow. 
to Manila Times for giving cricket the chance to become more familiar to more Filipinos through their media platforms, uh, to Emilio Aguinaldo College for their unwavering support in partnering with us in developing cricket here, to Jane, Rob and Toby at ICC EAP for their support and the help they provide us to grow the game, uh, to Emerging Cricket for championing associate cricket and a big thanks to all the volunteers uh, we have here that are the backbone of PCA and give up their time and energy to make milestones like this possible. Now, the last time we spoke, about a year ago actually, there was no women's team. So, talk us through a bit how the Philippines reached this point of, uh, of playing their very first international women's match. In 2017, a goal of having a women's national team up and running by 2020 was put in place and we're very pleased that we've achieved this goal. Uh, it started with recruiting players for, for a newly formed women's league in 2017, which had four teams, and we've since doubled the numbers in our women's competitions. So we have eight teams now. Uh, around the same time, the Divas, a team of Filipinas working in Hong Kong, was formed with support from Cricket Hong Kong and the Subcont Cricket Club, which definitely helped us to achieve our goal a little bit ahead of schedule. December 21, 2019 uh, will definitely be a historic day for cricket in the Philippines with our women's national team making their debut in a bilateral series. Uh, We'll be playing against our good friends and neighbours, Indonesia. Um, We'll have four matches over two days uh, and we're very happy that our ladies will get to make their debut on home soil as well. And so what can you tell us about the opposition, Indonesia? Uh, I'd say that Indonesia will be a big challenge for us and their ranking of 22 in the world uh, shows the great work that they're doing in developing their female cricketers. Um, It's definitely something we'll be looking to emulate uh, and it'll be a really good test for us. And this being their very first outing, how do you think the ladies will go? Uh, Our team will definitely give 100%. It'll be a great opportunity for our women to gain more experience and test themselves against a very good side. With some of our players still in their teens, we'll go into every game looking to win, but at the same time it gives our players a chance to learn and build on their skill sets for future tours as well. And with the series just about to begin, who would you say is the player to watch for the fans following at home? Uh, Definitely a player to watch from the Philippine team would be April Angeles. Uh, She's only 18 years old, a left-arm bowler. Uh, She's been playing for less than a year, but her dedication and commitment to improving her game has seen her become a player that can have a big impact on matches. Moving uh, not too far away from the Philippines and looking at Thailand and, of course, one of their seamers who was so integral to their World Cup qualification, Chinita Suchuang, has won the Women's Emerging Player of the Year at the ICC Awards. Brilliant at the at the qualifier, as I said, and will be a perennial figure of their World Cup campaign coming up. Nick, I'll start with you just to, to wrap this. Uh, it's great recognition for, for a player uh, in the associate world to be given the Emerging Player of the Year. There's quite elite company there. Uh, you've got to say, thoroughly deserved and, and just one of the many Thailand players who probably could have picked up this award. Yeah, it shows how much uh, Thailand cricket is is growing and you know, going from strength to strength, we saw them pick up their first win over a full member last year against Sri Lanka and now they're into the World Cup, which will be happening in a couple of months' time in, in Australia. So very exciting there. Uh, I remember... Seeing her, we we were all glued to our laptops when we were recording the podcast during the um the match between Thailand and Ireland and and she bowled the second last over of a, a very tense chase and 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 they they just couldn't get her away so uh, great effort there and yeah she she picked up a bunch of wickets in that tournament um so she'll be one to watch in in Australia in a couple of months. I've got to say though, looking at the women's T20 
team of the year announced. There's there's nobody from Thailand, and Thailand sent a world record for the number of T20Is won in a row, and some amazing numbers there throughout the year. And I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the dates of when it uh, is run. I know that sometimes these aren't run for the from the year and it knocks some of those games out. But got to be a little bit disappointed there that you can be in a team that wins 17 games in a row, sets a world record, and not one of those players gets it. And don't get me wrong, like Australia is, you know, you talk about stratification, and it's so, so much the better team in the, in the world at the moment, and that comes from the investment and the development and the WBBL. But you would have thought that uh, one or two of Thailand's players would have um, got a start in there. But, yes, great uh, for her to be a named Emerging Player of the Year and we um, really just can't wait to watch them down under in a couple of months' time. Looking forward to it immensely, boys, and I'm sure between us and Nishard and a few of the other EC regulars will be getting around to a few of their games for the World Cup and looking forward to that. Uh, we'll move on now to Ireland and, and not so great news, uh, not such great news to come out of there. Their test against Bangladesh has been changed to a T20 international with a five-match T20i series against Afghanistan scrapped. Between that and, and a few other questions of the Euro T20 Slam and, and other things. It hasn't been a great year off the field for Ireland, Ireland cricket and it's not a great finish either, boys. Uh, I'm not really sure where, where to go with this, but yeah, you've got to say, looking into 2020, hoping from a, from an off-field standpoint, uh, Nick, that Ireland can, can get themselves together and, and, and move forward again. Yeah, we've talked in the past about their off-field administration being uh, very good or at least you know, good compared to some other teams. Um, but this, yeah, hasn't really... Uh, they haven't covered themselves in glory this year, that's for sure. Uh, I, I noticed you uh, you used the term cost-cutting in your introduction. That's a, a pretty generous way of, of putting it in that um, yeah. basically they just can't afford it because hosting a test match costs a, an awful lot of money and they just don't think they're going to make it back. Which, yeah, is really disappointing. And it goes back to those discussions we were having a couple of episodes ago about you know the future of test cricket and, and uh, red ball cricket more generally for, for emerging nations. It is a shame that, that they can't afford it. And I guess I would reiterate my point that I, I don't think test matches have to cost a million euros, which is what uh, Ireland thinks it, it will cost them, or that's based on their, their test match against England. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into making it so expensive. But, you know, Ireland's women played a test match, uh, I think, nearly 20 years ago against Pakistan. And I can't imagine that cost them a million euros. So, I think it doesn't have to be that expensive. And, and you know, we've seen the ICC relaxing restrictions around the requirements for T20 internationals. So, I think if they're serious about keeping test cricket going, why not make it a bit more affordable for countries that might want to play it? Now, I'm going to have to disagree with there, Nicholas, because I think they, they ran the... And it wasn't to do with the one in, in Lords. It was the one, I think, that they, they ran against Pakistan in Malahide, that that the costs that they've had, they've been running it as cheaply as they can in that it's the bringing stadiums, the temporary stadiums that they've had, and they've named that in their press release today, one of the, the biggest costs they have because they don't have a permanent cricket stadium. And they had a basic television broadcast. And I think that's one of the issues that their broadcast deal has fallen over. And that would have paid for a lot of that. I, I don't think you can actually strip it back as, as, well, unless you're going to run it in a in a ground with no with no seating and not have broadcast, I think that's where the costs are. So, I think that's 
the issue for me is who's paying for these things. And it goes back to the point that, that Warren Dutram made. We made a number of points in his statement in the Cricket Island press release talking about how the amount of money that they were expecting from the ICC has not been forthcoming. Um, he calls out the fact that Ireland received less than half per year than Zimbabwe does. And that I guess it's a sign of the times exactly the question is, as was asked as to how much of a point is there Ireland paying and playing test match cricket was well, exactly what Warren Dutram said. He said, since, this, since these games aren't being played in the World Test Championship, then it's really more or less a million euro friendly. So it really goes back to the start of, of what is happening in the world of cricket. Afghanistan have gone through three chairmen in 15 months and they've just postponed their T20 league as well. They've called, um, well, they called the, the business partner sticks of sports out for unscrupulous activity and that's all in the courts at the moment. Um, we know what's happened with Zimbabwe. I, I think this is really, I, I don't know, I hope there are alarm bells going off in, in Dubai and, and the, the three big boards especially to, to be asking questions about what's happening and what the game is doing to help support it at the, at the lower ends because it seems that the rich are getting richer and the poor are really struggling. And if you, well, the poorer, I should say, and this is still full members, you know, we don't have a, a bridge between the associates and test cricket anymore because there's a nine-team World Test Championship, and that excludes three teams that play Test cricket. So, what are the teams behind them looking at? There's no Intercontinental Cup anymore. You know, Ireland made a point again in that release of saying that 2020 they will be prioritising white ball cricket over red ball cricket. You know, there's there's rumours that their Sri Lanka Test may be uh, in jeopardy as well. Um, but it's a bit like Associates now that Associates are basically going to be white ball cricketing nations in international cricket. Anyway, and there's still talks of changes to the, the global future tours program when it comes to test cricket, ODIs and, and T20Is. And it's all well and good if you've got the the capital base of, a, of an India and Australia who can move things around. But, you know, the, the, the emerging cricket world is in like the end of the whip here. You've got pathways that sometimes take twice as long as a World Cup cycle to qualify for some of these events. And you can't just click your fingers and, and everyone change tournaments and players rebook their tours and everything happens. So I think cricket really I feel like I'm sitting down and talking to a child in the corner of the room but cricket really needs to have a quick hard look at itself here and get something sorted in the way that cricket nations and the fringes are funded and getting these fixtures and tournaments sorted out so people can plan around them because you know Ireland yes there's been some of it their own making in, in signing on with the, the slam and it, it not happening and I'm not saying that they've contributed it um, at all or, or or they're completely to blame the fact is that it happened um, and everyone's in a hole because of it um, whether they've all been paid their entire license fees yet hasn't been confirmed by anybody and I and I haven't seen anything on the news or on uh, online about the dates for next year and what's happening and really we're coming up to pretty much what six or seven months before the event and you think this should really be wearing and firing at the moment because we saw what happened last time it was on literally weeks after the, the global t20 in canada and it was always going to struggle and I'm, I'm assuming the gt20 is running again and if it's running again and they're trying to fit this in as well then they should really be working harder and hopefully they can make a few changes like we talked about making the teams more local maybe not having so many international players etc but 
you know, when the, the sport, and I mean internationally, the sport is not supporting its teams on the fringes enough and they're going and they're having to look outside and say, well, where can we make money ourselves? And having been forced into, into making these decisions when they don't know what the funding is like, whether you're a test nation or an associate nation, then uh, I don't know that the game's sort of perilously positioned at the moment. We, we've had a really successful World Cup, inverted commas, inserted. We've got T, T20 World Cups coming up, which will be great in Australia because Australia hosts great events but funding is being it's, it's being cut that there's not enough funding in, in the pot at the moment to go around thus teams not receiving what they expected the development budget has been cut major people have, have departed the ICC two major people in the development team in ICC Richard Doan and David Shumalski um, Richard Doan being high performance manager and, and David looking after the Creo project are departing you know things are heading in one direction and, it, and it's not looking good and I think cricket really needs to take a step back now and deciding what it's going to do to try and grow and protect its future because at the moment there are three countries that seem to be going okay and everyone else is sort of being left to pick up the pieces to some degree. Yeah I think that's a very good summary of what's going on and I mean at the risk of um, sounding like a broken record you know in this situation um, I think pooled rights is really really important in protecting test cricket and um, having a, a central funding pot that all the teams can can draw upon rather than ad hoc bilateral uh, media rights agreements which which are necessarily going to be uh, much harder to sell rather than a, a coherent league that you can uh, pitch to, to broadcasters and uh, you know going back to a few years ago the ICC there were some ideas floating around for a, a test fund to, to try and subsidize that and developing that a little bit you know you could attach the funding to test cricket itself so in, in the same way as we've advocated uh, status being uh, linked to tournaments rather than uh, just an inherent thing that teams have you could have the funding being linked to actual tournaments rather than just uh, lump sum disbursements from the ICC coffers into the into the pockets of the boards having the funding coming through a, a centralized test fund and this is of course um, dependent on a, a centralized test schedule that they're able to uh, monetize centrally um, which again as, as you say Tim there's the big three boards that are sort of looking after themselves and and it's always going to be a challenge getting it through them but you know in in that sort of situation if your funding is coming through your participation in these various tournaments and and pathways rather than just by virtue of being in the special club i, I think it's a lot easier to plan around and, and it'll avoid situations like this where oh the media rights deal didn't didn't go through and now we're now we're scratching our heads trying to figure out what to do next because you can plan around well you know we're in the test championship for the next few years and we'll get x dollars for each match and whatnot from from a central fund so look looking at it that way um yeah i think that's what they could potentially do but again this this relies on uh the icc board um making these decisions and the icc board is as we know, uh, heavily influenced by the three most powerful full members, and and that's that's the sticking point. Is ultimately we need to hope for them to uh, realise that it's in their long term interests uh, to to protect the game, rather than just you know what can we get this year for our for our stakeholders. Yeah, just just to finish up, boys, and and you two were brilliant in in the responses there but uh you don't i don't want to see a situation where you know we ask the same question as well if a a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it does a tree fall in the woods you know to bring it back to a, a cricketing example you know to have an island test match for example that's played out but there's no television broadcast to to provide a, a coverage or even a stream then you know i'd hate 
for Test cricket to go down that path. But to go back to the, the financial uh, discussions that you two brought up, you know, it's not just an associate V full member situation. And, and we know that Ireland and Afghanistan are full members now, but even some of the more senior full members are finding themselves financially in a really precarious spot. You know, the likes of New Zealand and, and Sri Lanka are, are two boards that don't bring in a lot of money. And where we're seeing this fragmentation, not only between the big three and and some of the lesser known international countries but the big three and just the rest you know there's there's such a gulf in financial power between uh england india and australia and, and the rest of the full members let alone the associate members uh below that and and then ireland and afghanistan awkwardly in between if you look at uh sri lanka you know the, obviously there's a there's a bunch of political issues coming up there in that part of the world but South Africa have struggled to gain any sort of uh, financial headway in, in the last 12 to 24 months and, and they're finding it tough and now they've got issues with the relationship between the media and, and, and cricket in South Africa. So this is, a, this is a problem that encapsulates the entire cricket world and not just this emerging V full member gap. And, you know, cricket is compared to the likes of, of FIFA and, and it's all its wrongdoings, but FIFA gets a lot of this stuff right and that's an indictment of, of how much malpractice is going on with the ICC from a financial standpoint so you know it, it's going to take something dramatic for people to, to switch on and say look this isn't right and in my pessimistic view I think it's going to take one of the countries of the big three really struggling either on the field or off the field for dramatic change to take effect and I can't see that happening anytime soon so look I'm not sure where we're heading but it's it's not the most positive discussion point from an emerging cricket standpoint but you know the optimist in all of us hopes that that things can turn around uh, at this stage though it's not looking in a great shape and we'll be uh, trying to keep up with all of the news and events that, that do affect all of that stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll be here talking about it no, no matter what the situation is. I have a controversial opinion here. You, you mentioned FIFA and all of their uh, well-documented problems, but I think if cricket had FIFA-style corruption, it would be the best thing that's ever happened to cricket's development because what happens at FIFA is that basically... Uh, coalitions of small nations are able to because every nation in FIFA has the same vote. That's a, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it means people like Sepp Blatter can direct money for stadiums and tournaments and whatnot to a bunch of small countries to get their votes and and build power. So essentially, the path to power within FIFA is through developing the game, whereas the path to power in the ICC is through restricting it, and that's the fundamental difference. So, if if the path to power in the ICC was building a bunch of stadiums and, um, you know, hosting tournaments and, and whatnot, I think cricket would be in a lot better shape. Of course, I'm not advocating the, you know, suitcases full of cash that FIFA has allegedly been dealing with. But, you know, in terms of the structure, I, I think that would be a massive step forward. Yeah, it's a great point you make there. And yeah, the likes of Tahiti and, and other small members all carrying a vote would definitely help the cause in, in some way. But yeah, maybe the, the corruption would just work in different ways there. Again, me being a little bit cynical here. Let's move on. Well, you can be cynical before you move on, but each of these countries also re- receives 1.5 million US dollars a year from FIFA. There aren't bigger amounts that go to Spain or Italy. Yes, there's um, prize money awards for the World Cup, etc. But cricket has enough money to do what FIFA does in terms of its funding, but it chooses not to. 
Yeah, well, that, the, the top three are, are self-sustainable to a point where they don't need a bigger cut of the funding anyway. Uh, so, yeah, you, you're quite right, Tim, just to finish off there. They're the ones that, that don't need the money in, in regards to, uh, in comparison to, to all the other countries. So, yeah, look, again, uh, we'll keep our ear to the floor if we hear anything different from, from that. Uh, side of of the game but we'll we'll finally uh, move on and that to be honest we did spend a lot of time on that but it is worth talking about because it is with all the ins and outs the most important part of the game is making sure that it's uh, viable from an economic standpoint Uh, speaking of economics uh, and football as opposed to cricket a story came out of Uganda this week and and Nick you did well to, to to bring this up before we did talk about it tonight on the show uh the ugandan cricket team were given seven thousand dollars by uh the ugandan cricket association to share among the team uh for their challenge league performance of course they went unbeaten at the challenge league leg in oman five wins from five uh in comparison to that uh when uganda qualified for the african cup of nations in football president uh rewarded them with one million dollars of course there is from a financial standpoint and we've just talked about this there is probably more money in football but the discrepancy there is is quite large and probably too large for that figure to be justified for the cricket team nick yeah, and uh, Ugandan cricket Twitter has uh, rightfully been uh, making these comparisons between the you know the seven thousand and, of course, Yuri uh, Museveni uh, parading himself around with the football cranes rather than the cricket cranes. And uh, just as a as a side note, Ugandan cricket Twitter is uh, actually excellent, and I highly recommend following uh, quite a few of those accounts. But anyway, the the fact, of course, as you mentioned, is just that football is massively more dominant um, in most countries and and that's necessarily going to be reflected it's it's the same we were talking about the philippines and evan was saying last year when we were chatting that you know a lot of the time uh, politicians will try and attach themselves to basketball teams and and basketball players doing well and and that sort of thing because that's where the glory is and i think it's the same thing here in uganda The, the cricket cranes just simply don't have the profile that that would justify that and it's unfortunate. It reminds me last year, you know, the, the Ugandan cricket board was having trouble uh, with one of their fields that they use for, for playing cricket. And this was leading up to the African qualifying uh, pathway. And, and they were having trouble uh, getting on the field to, to practice because the <laughs> the sports ministry had let a, uh, a famous Ugandan um, preacher or celebrity preacher use the the field for his meetings and and obviously uh uganda was not very happy about that with the cricket cranes so just um it it sort of highlights the challenges for them in terms of uh cutting through to the popular consciousness and you know just getting treated with the same respect as as the football team which i mean honestly the football team isn't that much more successful comparatively than the cricket team if you look at their results on the field but yeah Hopefully they can continue winning and continue building profile and eventually they'll they'll get the respect they deserve. Finally, an update to the European Cricket League's teams for next year. Of course, it's a 16-team tournament, uh, eight more than last year. Uh, a few more teams have been announced after they all won their domestic competitions. We have a new German champion, FCA 04 United Stars Cricket Club Darmstadt. Uh, Finnish champion Helsinki Cricket Club, Sweden's Lund Cricket Club will make its debut, as well as Ostend Exiles from Belgium. Uh, Dreux return from France, winning once again. Of course, that tournament running from the 31st of March to the 7th of June next year, and we'll have plenty of coverage all over our website and our podcast as well, so look out for that. And make sure to keep your ear to the floor with the ACL as there are more teams set to be announced in the coming weeks. 
and we'll also hopefully hear from Daniel Weston as he prepares for ECL 2020. That's just about all we have time for this week. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your favorite social media platform. Make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcast. For now, from myself and on behalf of the boys, Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.